Your photos don't belong on your phone, so get 15 free square prints from Nation's Photo Lab. Head on over to nationsphotolab.com slash printyourphotos and use the code IMPROVE15. Nation's Photo Lab prints are made by photographers for photographers. You can choose from 4x4 or 5x5 sizes on their professional quality luster paper, and voila, you've turned your Instagrams into instant handheld memories. So make every moment matter and head over to nationsphotolab.com slash printyourphotos and use code IMPROVE15 for your 15 free square prints today. You're listening to the Master Photography Podcast. Welcome to the Master Photography Roundtable, part of the Master Photography Podcast Network. You are joined by thousands of photographers listening to the show who are all on the same journey to master their photography. I am Brent Burkham, your host for this show, and I'm joined by my fellow Master Photography Podcaster, Jeff Harmon. Jeff, it's great to have you here. Thanks, Brent. Happy to be here. It's good to be be back a little bit. I've been under the weather for a few days, almost two weeks, oh, actually, kind of. That's... Yeah, so after Christmas, which has really delayed, I've got like two Photo Taco episodes I've wanted to put out, and and we've had recordings here that I had to miss, so I'm glad to be back. Yes, it's it's good to be back on our feet and ready to to run with and hopefully get caught up with all these things. I feel the same way. My my to do list today is tens of things long, and I'm just like, well, I might get three of those done. <laughs> so <laughs> so we'll see how that goes. Um, so today's topic, though, we are going to talk about printing again, and I kind of call it printing revisited because you and I talked about printing a couple of episodes ago. And yeah. you were just getting into the this whole idea of printing. You you kind of characterize it saying you don't really like printing. Is that still the case? <laughs> okay, so I, I have uh, I have now uh, delivered to a client my own prints, the prints that I did Great. myself instead of going through a lab. Nice, and they loved them. They loved them. No, they ordered a, a couple of canvases too, so that I had to go through the lab because I'm yeah I'm not even close to being able to do canvas that, yet. But yeah, that's a whole nother story. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a lot. More, there's a lot more involved there. So I, I didn't attempt that one, but they, the eight by tens, five by seven stuff that they wanted that was uh, relatively easy to do. Um, I did struggle a little bit in making the brightness levels yeah. be what I wanted. Okay. Um, uh, the colors were never an issue. I printed uh, great, no problem. I tried it even like experimenting a little bit. I I, I did uh, printer manages color. I did Photoshop manages the color. Either way seemed uh, the same to me as I was looking at it and how that worked out. So the colors were not a challenge. Yeah. I, that that all came out great. But it looked darker, not a lot darker, okay. but a little bit darker on the prints yeah. than it did on the screen. And so I, I started to play around a little bit in Lightroom. I, I mostly used Lightroom. I did use a little bit of Photoshop for printing, but I mostly did this in Lightroom. And um, and the Lightroom print module, I struggled just a touch there too because I'd never used it before. And uh, and so I, I had a challenge with like making so that I could print the photos out in the right aspect ratio that they wanted. Like I I did the photo in an eight by ten aspect ratio as I edited it in Lightroom and they wanted a five by seven of it, which is a different aspect right. ratio. So um, switching through that in Lightroom, I had some challenges there and how the cells work and I figured it out after doing it for a little bit, but my initial experience was was a little rough there as I <laughs> went into Lightroom and was trying to use it. There were some check boxes that needed to be unchecked. And um, and then it was good. And then I played around with the brightness levels because you have that in Lightroom I have a control for 
like brightness. And mm-hmm. um, so I was I played around with uh, bumping that up, and I got to about I think it was twenty five percent, something like that. And that's where stuff looked good. Now, this is in the print module. You're talking about that brightness slider way at the bottom. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I, it's it's interesting to me that they included that because it's really just an admission that says, to me anyway, I, I view it as an admission that says, people are going to have problems with this from how it looks on yeah, screen right, right. to how it comes out on your print. And here is a quick way to... Uh, correct for that. And yep. when I look at, you know, there's some great videos about printing on lynda.com as well. And Deke McClelland, he advises people if you're in Photoshop, just add yourself a brightness adjustment layer. And 20 uh-huh. is actually his preferred oh, number. Okay. So you were really close, you know, and maybe there's slight differences between how, you know, that adjustment layer works in Photoshop versus that little slider in Lightroom. But I, I looked at that every time I look at that or I hear about that. I'm just like, you know, this is just their admission. And thankfully, they've made it easy for us. So we don't have to go back and reprocess the image with our own exposure slider, you know, because right. then that changes how it looks on screen, too. Right. We just want to match it how it looks, you know, from print to screen as best as possible. So and, that definitely right. is convenient. And I do want to. I do want to mention that I am using a calibrated screen. Mm-hmm. So I've already calibrated it right. to brightness levels that are recommended to make this work better with printing. So it's not that I my screen is so bright that I need to make sure I increase the brightness as I, I go to print so that they look the same. Right. It's that I have calibrated to the recommended lighting levels given the, the lighting conditions in my room and adjusting the brightness on the monitor so that it's set up to try to make that as close as possible. And even with that, I still needed to go 25% yes. brighter just to make it match. Yes. And so there's two ways to to look at that argument. And one is to say, we accept the fact that we have this glowing screen versus the reflected print, and there's just right, going to be right. differences. We have that. Right. But also in my notes that we're going to start going through here shortly, uh, we can also think about, or we should be thinking about the location in which our prints are going to be viewed and the lighting we're using when we use our, our when we judge our prints because even just that will hu- play a huge role in how we perceive the prints and how we interpret the brightness of those prints. And that's just something that I think as long as we're aware of, we can kind of make accommodations in our mind for what we're seeing. But it's put- again, I don't know where you- what your location is, but uh, when you're judging a print, it just can be something that we should be- at least be thinking about. And I would gather or I would you know, wager that possibly your location where you're viewing your prints is probably highly similar to your clients and how sure, they're viewing right. their prints. So right. you're, Indoors, I would say you're totally making light. the right decision there. It's just <laughs> right. being aware of that because uh, I like to use I like to have my students use a viewing booth at, at the school. Uh, but I, I'm v- trying to be way over the top saying a viewing booth is not real world scenario. It is <laughs> right. it is uh, brightness calibrated and and color calibrated uh, for a place to look at your prints and and view them. And it's really cool, but it can just still throw you off. So the other challenge I ran into um, was cutting them. So, you know, I, I've got uh, the printer came with a bunch of 13 by 19, a three sized prints or uh, paper, glossy, semi-gloss paper, which is great. I think it was 50 sheets. So, I had a lot of sheets to test with and play around with and, and try things out. And if I print 13 by 19, it's beautiful. No borders. It takes up the whole thing. It's wonderful. Yeah. And I did a few of those uh, for the basketball team. I'm working on some um, some player, really nice player 
images where I'm compositing the players into the image and has this beautiful background in form and everything. It's, it's really cool. And man, are they impressive when you take a 13 by 19 print over to the high school and, and like, I put that up on the wall and all the kids are like, Oh, I want yeah, one of those. Of course. <laughs> I want one of those. And that was, it was really nice to be able to do that. So I did enjoy printing that, but, but when I was printing for my client, they didn't want 13 by 19. Right. That's not a size anybody really wants to hang on their wall. Um, it's an unusual size. Uh, so I needed to, I used it to, I used Lightroom to place down, you know, eight by 10, five by sevens on the same sheet. And then there was going to, of course, going to be wasted paper there where I had to cut them out. And there was my challenge. Now I was like, I don't have a good paper cutter for this. Yeah. I don't have anything to make this happen. So I went online and did a little brief searching. And of course you can spend gobs of money on these mm-hmm. things. And, um, but I found a, a, a relatively inexpensive option. Um, it's a Fiskars brand. Okay. I don't know if you've heard of that yeah. before. I, uh, and, and it does great. The problem was it only goes to 12 inches. Oh. So I could kind of, you know, use scissors yeah. to, to get a, a basic cut and then use the Fiskars thing to cut more in depth. Yeah. And, and that's okay. As long as I didn't want to do something where I actually needed to like cut along the entire length of the, right. of the page, something like that. So then I actually decided to invest quite a bit more and get a, I think it's, I don't know how you pronounce it. It's Dolly or Dolly. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. Dolly. Yeah. So, so I invested in, in a, I believe it was a 19 inch, no, 21 inch. 21 inch cutter there and it's massive it's that that set you back huge, a little bit too heavy. those those aren't cheap it did yeah it, it was and i i had some amazon points i love amazon yeah. I, I order so much stuff on amazon i had enough amazon points to cover it or else i would never have bought it okay and uh so now but now i have the ability to actually very precisely cut using that cutter um and, and get that to deal with that so a couple of things that i hadn't thought of yet that we didn't talk about last time and uh, that, that people might, if they've not done a lot with printing, you need to be aware that cutting the prints is something you're going to have to work around to. Yes, for sure. So let's move on a little bit then. There's certainly been a lot of, in other places, people have been talking about lots of printing as well. And really, I think it's about this deal that Canon has done at the <laughs> right. end of this year, this last year for their 13 by 19 printers. And then for my interests too, as I'm sure most listeners know by now, they might be tired of hearing about it. I am developing an online course where I'll be able to, I'm counting hopefully on releasing that April 2. And I'm preventing myself from saying April 1st, just because I don't want to suffer those April Fool's jokes. And <laughs> right. uh, so we're going to go with <laughs> April 2 for my uh, planned release date. That's uh, that's you know the most important thing for me right now, it seems. Uh, so anyway, yes, Canon had these fantastic deals where you could get these 13 by 9 printers, by 19 printers, and many folks like yourself have decided to jump on it, and I got one as well. But you and I got different uh, different models. You got the Pro 100, is that correct? Yes, yep, Pro 100. And I got the Pro 10, and by and large, these are very identical machines, but there's just a little bit about them that are that are quite... There's a little bit different, and that is okay. the Pro 100 actually uses a dye-based ink, and the Pro 10 uses a pigment-based ink, but they have this thing called the Chroma Optimizer in that Pro 10, so it actually has a... Uh, what I've determined is the case is, because that other one is dye-based ink, you don't need to worry about 
the changing out your black for going on a matte papers or glossy papers because it will just look different. There's this uh, behavior called metamerism that is about with that you have with mostly with pigment based inks where the the ink will kind of reflect differently depending on the angle you hold it in the light. And so that's just really different between the gloss inks and the and the matte inks for the black anyway. But when they put this chroma optimizer over it, it kind of smooths the whole thing out. And so that whole idea uh, that you're messing with uh, for those differences in how the, the inks behave is actually largely dealt with. I'm not sure I like that chroma optimizer, but... Uh, and usually also we are thinking about with dye-based inks, they don't last as long as pigment-based inks, but I was doing some research in Canon. They claim, anyway, 300 years on those dye-based inks, so they've done something in that formula for making that uh, last a whole lot longer than what has traditionally been the case, so that's really nice. Okay, so I, I mixed it up. Which which one is which? The the one that I have is going to look different depending on the matte or glossy? Is that what you're No, what it, 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 yours, the, the Pro 100 has the dye-based inks, and so you don't need to worry about selecting the right black ink oh okay. mine right. uh, being pigment-based ink you have to now it's automatic when you select a certain paper it'll just say oh you uh-huh. need the the matte black ink then and so it'll put in this different uh ink instead of the regular black it'll put in the matte black because when oh, it's okay. full-on solid that's where it can start to look a little weird because it'll still feel a little glossy when you're on the when you're on the uh matte papers so that's just the major differences between those two machines, but then the, of course the price difference yours after all the rebates is less than a hundred bucks. And mine after right. the rebates was still in the 250 range or something like that, which is why I picked the one. I yeah. Did. And I almost did, but I was like, Oh, I want that matte black and I want to see what the chroma optimizer is about. Uh, and so I just decided to go ahead and splurge for that one. I, as I look at it now, I'm probably thinking mm, maybe I should have gone the other way, but <laughs> whatever it's it's all it's all good and it's it's a fantastic machine for sure but i also use an epson at work i have the 4900 that's uh, an older machine they don't make it anymore but they still support it so i have a 4900 and so i use these two printers in my course that i'm producing and so whether you're using the epson side of things or you're using the canon side of things you'll be able to you know get something out of this course uh, but most of the course is actually printer agnostic uh, you don't need to worry about that. I just I go into these two brands for how they behave with the software and, and a few other technical things as well. Very good. So I want to briefly describe, though, my three-pronged approach with this before we get into all these details. And that is, of course, just a standard download for the course. And then I'll be doing uh, what I call a virtual workshop. And the the standard download is just, you know, you kind of sign up for it. You'd be able to watch it you know, on your schedule and that's all fine. The virtual workshop will include times with me where we can either get on Skype or we can just, uh, however we can connect. And if you have something that you have questions about as you're going through the course, we'll have some time to be able to do that. And then you will also be able to ship me your prints and get my specific feedback on how the process is going for you. And then I'm also looking at doing in-person workshops. And literally as I, as we speak, I just got off the phone with the property in town that I'm looking at. Uh, hosting my in-town shoot and print workshop is what I'm calling it, where we'll go out and photograph in the Southeast Washington, Northeast Oregon area. And then during the day, we'll do the uh, printing. So we'll go out for sunrise and sunset type times 
And then during the day, we'll do the shooting. So that's going to happen June 17 through 20 or 21, whichever that Friday is. And then, uh, so we'll have that. And then also I just got invited or we're working on, I should say, to go to a camera club. So uh, working at giving this presentation at a camera club too. So that'll be pretty awesome. Cool. And then the techniques we're also talking about here today, you should be able to use all these as you print online too. And that'll be another thing that I add in the course is this whole component where I'm going to go with five or six different online printers and I'm going to just go through the whole purchasing process right there and and record it for people so they can see and, you know, because they're going to give you instructions about, you know, make sure you prepare your file this way and make sure you do this. And so I'm going to be able to help interpret all of that. And then I'll do a session where I uh, look at the prints and just kind of give you my feedback as to what I was expecting versus what I got back. And uh, I don't yet have any clue which online resources I'll use as far as which printers I'll use, but that'll be part of it too. And that'll probably be another episode here of the, of the podcast. Looking forward to oh, it. That'll be fun. Yeah, that'll be <laughs> oh, a lot of work, but it's going to be fun. So, all right, let's get into the nitty gritty here. But just before we do that, I want to emphasize or point out that for me, when I'm looking to print, I do a mental separation as far as the processing and the thinking about the stages of the images and what we go through. So the first stage I think about is, is just taking care of all the technical issues that relate to the capture. So the capture and the processing, I just simply call it capture processing, uh, whether it's initial sharpening or you know, a few things to just correct it up and, and make it look good. I then look, usually these are done in, in Lightroom. I then look at uh, creativity and being able to do whatever I want with my creative edits. This could be in Lightroom. This could be in Photoshop. It doesn't really matter. And then, you know, doing whatever I need to do with my goals that I have for this image. Or sometimes it's just experimentation too, to see if something could work out. And then finally, there's some print specific sizing and sharpening that I go through because I like to basically just consider myself to be ultra picky when I'm doing these kinds of things. Because if I have something that comes out and it doesn't look quite right in the print, I want to be able to look at it and say, okay, if I change this one little thing or that one little thing, I should expect this kind of change in the print. And so if I'm really picky with how we do that, then we'll get predictable results when we get to the printing stage. So, Jeff, we have this outline in our show notes, and those will be on the Master Photography Podcast website when this is uh, published. But I'm wondering maybe if you could kind of go through those items, and as you find these items that you know we should elevate to talking about, could you maybe lead us through that outline? Yeah, yeah, that that would be good. So, what we're going to do is Brent's prepared an outline here of kind of kind of follows a bit with the course. You can get a a little mini preview over the next, I don't know, 30 minutes or so of what the course is going to be like. And I'm going to kind of act as the student asking the questions about those outline. Yes. He's going to fill us in. All right. So the first one that we're, t- we're going to talk about, I-, I think we need to skip the very first thing that you're going to go through in the planning to go through in the course in color space because it'll take too long. Just, <laughs> that's, that's a, it's a big topic. And we, and um, we have but, talked about those kinds of things in the past. So have. yeah. 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 So let's let's get to color management. And I kind of alluded to this already at the top of the show when I talked about kind of I experimented a little bit between printer managed and yeah. uh, 
software managed. So yeah, describe the differences between those and what, what's going on there. Yeah, so we need to think about color management from the beginning to end. And basically, once you get your photo into Lightroom, how is it that we're previewing that? So you mentioned you have a calibrated screen. So you have this device that you attach to your screen, and it reads the color going through a process. And so that's the first stage of color management. The second stage of color management is right down the next down the list is getting those ICC profiles for your printer and your paper combination. And so it's important to, if you're buying one of these printers you haven't bought yet, make sure you get one of those printers that is supported by the paper manufacturers because you want their ICC profiles to start with. But then we go even a little further and we can say, depending on which profiler device you purchase, you could get one that also will profile your printer itself. Those are definitely more expensive than the monitor-only profile devices. But to be able to profile your paper on that printer itself, that's where you're pretty much golden. You're, I can't say you're guaranteed still, but you're really in the right trench as far as making the right decisions and getting good color out of that. Uh, but again, as you've discussed already, and, and as I've alluded to, Canon has done a fantastic job of getting you good color right out of the box. It's about finding the nuances and finding being picky about it. That's where those getting all that color management figured out and getting all of that ICC profiles figured out. I would like to stress too, I feel anyway, it is actually easier to do than it sounds because they have (laughs) made it quite easy with all of these tools that we can use. We just have to know where to put them. So on the Mac, uh, you would be able to put them under your uh, library and then color sync and then profiles folder that's your personal library you just dump the profiles in there for the paper and incidentally that's where it saves it for your color your your monitor calibration as well and on the pc it's it's not on the top of my head where exactly to put it but all of the profile companies you know the paper companies and the like will have those figured out they'll just tell you right where to put it once you put it there then software or lightroom or whichever other uh, you know Photoshop or Lightroom, whichever software you're using, will be able to access those items, and then you'll be able to do that uh, to use those. And yeah, the profiles. So it, go it, ahead. Sorry. For me, for me, it, it, at least what I've done so far, I, I followed your advice from the last episode, and I've just gone with all Canon yeah. stuff. Um, which means so so when I installed the Canon printer drivers. Uh, in Windows, I didn't have to worry about any of right. this because it already installed all of the ICC profiles for all their paper types. Yes, and so they were already there. I didn't have to do anything to get that. And then because I'm using a Canon paper, um, all I had to do was either if the printer was managing it, I picked the paper in the printer dialog yeah. box when I printed, and if it was software managed, like if I was in Photoshop and I wanted to manage it. Then I picked the paper there, and which is also you know something you can do. There's a place for it, and I had to make sure in the printer dialog box that I picked none. Otherwise, right. um, it, it won't matter what you do in Photoshop, and and so that's how you switch. You can do either one, and as as I tested it, I didn't see a material difference between the two. In fact, I, right. I didn't see a difference at all. Right when you're, they, they both looked identical. Right when you're doing the manufacturer's paper and the manufacturer the printer manufacturer's paper. So in this case, you've got everything from Canon. I would not expect to see a difference between those two. One thing I want to dive just a little deeper into, when you talk about uh, in Photoshop, you still have to hit the print command in Photoshop and it brings up a Photoshop uh, print dialog box, I guess you could say. Right. And that's where you have a a laundry list of, of things to choose from. And that's where you choose either printer manages color or Photoshop manages color. 
And if you choose Photoshop manages color, then you can choose the specific profile that you're looking for. Right. And then when you click that button that says get into the printer settings, that's where you choose what we call the media type. And that has to match the paper as well. And again, when you're all in the same family of Canon, it's it's so easy because they have everything just figured out perfectly. When you get into like the Cans and Infinity papers, the Moab papers and others, they're going to tell you, okay, for this paper, use this media type and it's going to be the closest media type. Now, what, what oh, that's okay. doing is saying, we just want to tell the printer how to behave in a certain way as it relates to how high is the ink head uh, from the paper because it's a really thick paper or a really thin paper. And so we want to be able to move that ink head and then also the rolls, the rollers, the tightness of the rollers and the like. So there's different things about the different media that are going to uh, change the behavior of the printer as it's moving that paper through. But then it's that color profile, that ICC profile. That's what's controlling how the ink is actually laid on paper with how much, you know, as far as what we're expecting for the colors. Yeah, it did a fabulous job. I was yeah. I was really pleased. I was nervous about it because I printed on other types of printers that aren't really photo printers and the colors never were working right. Yeah. It was it was a mess. It, it didn't work well. And so I was pleasantly surprised when I on my very first test print, I didn't do hardly anything. You just picked the the paper type and it came out beautifully. Yeah. I'm like, "Wow. Okay, maybe this is not as as bad as I as it has been for me in the past." Yes. Hey, okay. So so next, you have on on the outline here Pixels per inch versus dots per inch, but I want to change it just yeah, a little sure. in our in our discussion here. Um, I've talked a lot about dots per inch on Photo Taco, yeah. so if I, maybe we can include a link in the show notes to Certainly. to that discussion, so that we can you know it goes through that that distinction. But when it does bring raise a question that I never got answered yes. when I was printing, so that was in Lightroom as I go to print, it did have um, DPI settings, printer DPI settings yes. as something I could configure. And so I thought, oh, I better go find out what my printer is then. So I, I set that correctly. And I couldn't find anywhere <laughs> what the DPI was of the printer so, so, to, to know what to set that to. So, the, so what, what do you do with that? So the DPI in the Canon printer is 2400. Oh, okay. So um, what, what I'm interested, I, I'm just opening up Lightroom now as we're talking, and I'm going to the, the print section. What I recall seeing is... There's a print resolution setting, but is there one that specifically says which, uh, what the printer itself is? I don't think there's one that says what the printer itself is, unless you were using Canon's uh, print no, no, studio. No, I was just using basic Lightroom yeah. functionality. I'll, I'll open it up too and see if I can find the. Yeah, so we, we get into, let's just get into it now because I have a detail later in the notes as well, but um, what we're dealing with there is we want to be able to send, and I should back up half a step, this is my being extra picky. And this is one of the reasons I don't like printing from Lightroom because when we go through that thing at the very bottom, it says print job. And you know you want to print to the printer, of course. Uh, you, the, you have the thing to say print resolution and you can set which print resolution you want. So for me, I would go with an even multiple of whatever my printer is. So if I were to do on the Canon, that's 2400. Well, I would probably choose 300 to start with on this print resolution because that's an even multiple of eight to go to the print dots per inch. Does that, does that make sense? Okay. So yeah, it is the printer resolution 
dial uh, that I that is there. Yeah. So I, so that's and I don't understand really what that is still. So so that's going to what is print resolution? So that's going to take your image from Lightroom and it's going to process it as if you were opening it into Photoshop and it's going to size it for going out to printing. And this oh. is going to be the the PPI that it's going to set it to, like if you were to open it in Photoshop. So this is okay. So if it if it needed to enlarge the print, yes, enlarge so that it would have the right uh, information for the printer right. to print at some enlargement size, right. then it would use... The, okay, so because mine were way bigger than, than what I needed, that wasn't an issue. Okay, yeah. I understand. So this is the, one of the reasons why I don't care for working through Lightroom versus Photoshop because all of that is done in the background and I can't see exactly what it's doing because the next thing <laughs> right. down is print sharpening. You have a media yep. type selection of matte or glossy and then you have right. a, um, a low standard or high. And... There's just so much that goes into the final stage of print sharpening that I like to be able to control. And that's what I teach in my course. So this is fantastic for all being ultra convenient and quick and efficient. And you can even set up, if you scroll to the top in Lightroom, you have this thing called picture package and you can set up all these different things, which is probably what you used when you were uh, setting up those five by sevens, those eight by tens. And right, you can right. get all of that configured, and that's just you, there's nothing easier. That's wonderful. Uh, at least I don't think there's anything easier. Um, <laughs> there's a very similar. I, I should backtrack. There's a very similar setup in Photoshop, but it still it's not as easy as this. And so that's that's great and wonderful. But yeah, when we're looking at fine art, getting the every last ounce of quality and goodness out of our print, uh, we just don't have the control that we need to to really get dial it in for perfection. And, uh, but that's what that is about. The 360 is there is what mine is now because my, I was most recently printing to my Epson printer, which is 1440 DPI and 360 is an even multiple of that. So that's, that's where that comes from. Okay. All right. That makes sense. Let's skip forward to some basic workflow overview. Um, and and you wanted to discuss format file formats to consider TIFF, PSD, PSB, JPEG, so what what considerations are there specific to printing? I have a yeah. a really good understanding of of these file types for like client delivery and and storing or keeping my photo edits around that kind of a thing. Uh, round tripping between right. Lightroom and Photoshop, for example, I, I used I like prefer the TIFF format right. for that. But what does it have to do with printing? Right. So when it comes to really for me, it's, it's a choice between TIFF and JPEG as well because. Like you, I prefer the TIFF. You have uh, a few more gigabytes uh, in file size that you can have in the native file format. You've got layers still, of course, uh, as compared to PSD format. Uh, And then the PSB format is you have to do a little bit of a workaround if you want to have that showing up in in Lightroom. So uh, TIFF is great. And the reason I like TIFF personally is because you're not compressing your color and you have the opportunity for doing 16-bit color in that in that file format where when you're on the standard JPEG, you only get the eight bit color. And so this leads a little bit into that discussion of color gamut, color spaces and the like, you can still have an Adobe RGB uh, color space for your JPEG. That's no problem. It's just whether or not we're at that 16 bit handling and whether or not we can have those more subtle nuances as we change and manipulate once we're outside of Lightroom. And so it just sends more information over to from Lightroom to Photoshop and in TIFF, you can hold that information in the original form, whereas JPEG, it starts stripping some of that out. 
So even if you're going to send off to a printer, do you recommend then sending it off in a TIFF format? If you're going to go to an online printer, definitely not. Yeah, yeah. I would definitely go uh, JPEG. I Okay. It has been a while since I've printed online, but I have not seen an online printer that would prefer the TIFF format. You're dealing with other things there because number one is just the whole bandwidth issue. And most folks have a high-speed internet now, and it's it's not that really big of a deal but you know think about them too if they're a big company and they're receiving thousands of files a day and they're all tiffs they would have to have a massive network compared you know storage network compared to just receiving your jpegs so i say send out the top quality jpeg from photoshop and you're going to be fine for those online printings and that's what i will be doing when i test all these uh, different online printings i'm totally going jpeg and i'll Uh most likely be pulling it back to the srgb color space because that's what they're going to ask for Perfect. Okay, so so really, all it is is if you're going to be printing locally, like we we're yeah. talking about, then then using TIFF as your source for the print job yeah. is is a is a preference that's going to produce, you know, slightly better results. Something that that might be noticeable to uh, someone who knows what they're looking. Yes, for. <laughs> and, and to just reiterate, I'm taking this from the fine art pickiest kind of standpoint. Right, right. Because in Latitude, we've had a, I've had a discussion with Greg Benz on bit depth, and we got a tiny amount into printing in that. Yeah. And he was totally saying, JPEG is totally fine for printing. And I agreed with him, and I still agree with him. There's nothing I've changed in my opinion on that. It's just, if we're going for that ultimate quality, and that's what we want to do, then this is what we have to do. Uh, and as we get into some of the processing later on in the discussion... It, you can only do that with TIFF, so uh, it'll become more obvious why TIFF is the the preferred choice. Now, if you shot in JPEG on your camera, that doesn't matter because, like, well, <laughs> you don't you can't really take it from JPEG and and upgrade it to a, a higher eight bit depth. Correct uh, TIFF format. Y- you do have that limitation, but when you're going through and experimenting with which sharpening for output sharpening that you're doing. That uh-huh. is going to be something where the TIFF is still going to be to your benefit because you simply have the capability of non-destructive editing when it comes to the output sharpening. Oh, sure. That's, that's what I'm sure. talking about there. Okay. All right. I see. All right. Now let's go. Uh, let's, let's talk about a little bit more about color management. And y- you have in here ensuring that the ICC profiles are available, um, checking on like the, the paper manufacturer's websites, Make sure they've got it. Like, don't buy the paper. Yeah. Uh, and and you said earlier too about printers. Are that make sure they have one. Are you aware of printers made today that don't come with ICC profiles? So, basically, the only ones that won't come with profiles available are going to be those uh, desktop office t- type printers. Oh, okay. So, <laughs> if you have a printer that you purchased, Epson, Lexmark, whatever. And it's a letter size printer, and it was less than a hundred bucks or whatever the case is. Pretty much guaranteed, you're not going to have a special profile available right. for that printer. And so that's, right. I, I classify those these printers as kind of small format, and so that's your letter size and whatever else. Uh, then your medium format printers. That's where I personally classify the thirteen by nineteen printers, and then the large format printers would be anything. Uh, 17 inches and larger for the for the the width of how wide you can print would be 17 inches and larger for the large format. So your medium format and your large format you can definitely get profiles for. I should say at least usually. I've not seen any 13 by 19s that you can't get a profile for from the paper manufacturers. Right. And one thing I really liked that Canon did in their 
uh, downloads, uh, support downloads, they've actually provided profiles for many of the popular papers. So they're actually providing their own profiles for all these different papers too. And I thought that was really nice. Oh, that is nice. Yeah. <laughs> okay, uh, let's let's move on to uh, describe profiling the printer. We talked just a little tiny bit about how it's really a, a lot more money to get a profiler, a, a calibration yes. device that will do that. But describe the process. What do you do? So you tell the software, your profiling software, to print out this item that is just a bunch of swatches of color. And so I use the X-Rite, the i1 Pro X-Rite, or by X-Rite, I should say. And you can choose to print 400 swatches, 800, or 1,600 swatches. And there's these tiny little uh, squares that are on the paper. And then you put it into this holder and you take that same device that you had plugged on or placed on your monitor to read and calibrate the monitor. Well, it has a little light inside. And so it shines its calibrated light onto the, onto the print. And as you slide it across, it's all you know in a row and you just hold the button down and you slide it across. It'll read that whole row. So for each paper, you're probably going to spend about maybe 10 minutes in profiling that one paper but mm-hmm. it's so it's not a huge time investment but it you know if you had five or six papers to do it could take a while okay and would is the expectation the difference i saw in um how bright the photo was my my issue with the luminosity right. of the of the print would that fix this would it make it so i don't have to do any kind of adjustments is that should i expect that theoretically yes however it's it is I have seen it because I actually printed one, uh, compared one in the course, and I actually, it's almost strange, but my preference was actually for the manufacturer provided profile just because I liked the color better, and it is totally subjective at that point. Uh, There wasn't really a difference in the brightness. I would say it's more going to be a color difference. So the brightness value, I think we're still dealing with environmental items rather than just purely uh, those scientific items that are built right into how much ink is actually going on page uh, versus not. Right. So yeah, you're probably still going to run into a little bit of that where it's going to show up a little bit darker, a little bit bright, whatever is characteristic in your, in your setup. So what I, as a hobbyist just heard you say was, I'm not going to worry about all about probably about printer profile. Pro- as long as you get your profile from the manufacturer. Yeah. You're probably gonna be okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay good because i don't want to have to spend the money on that no. so <laughs> I, I can understand so where you wouldn't you wouldn't feel it worth it and that, that totally understandable yes yeah for me i I probably wouldn't even do it either uh if this wasn't supplied because i i take my students through this and so uh if i had to pay fifteen hundred dollars for that i1 pro i probably wouldn't do that either uh right. at least not right now maybe a little bit down the road i would but not right now okay all right, let's talk about selecting images to work on. You have some interesting theories or concepts there. Yeah. You're going to go through kind of camera settings and less stuff with your with your course and making sure you, you do everything you can to capture, create right. good, good images. But now also in editing uh, or as you're deciding whether or not to print a shot, you have some notes here about uh, considering sharpness, exposure, histogram, mood, overall kind of technical assessment. Yeah. So walk me through kind of what you mean with that. Yeah, so on the sharpness... It's where I tend to look at this as purely a technical exercise when I'm looking at the initial capture sharpness. I'm thinking a little bit about the lens and how it distorts. So I'm going to go into Lightroom and I'm going to take away those uh, lens distortions and uh, chromatic aberration and do those kind of automated things. 
but I'm also going to get into that detail tab where they have the the sharpening. And sure. so they have yeah. an automated, by default, what is a setting of 25 on the amount right. and something like that. And so I like to be able to dive into that and just to see exactly what I'm dealing with if I know I'm going to go to print, because quite frankly, I don't think when you downsize it so much to go on screen view only, like you're posting on Facebook, pretty much that those little fine details that we're going to be looking at has nothing to do with anything when you put it out on Facebook. So it's just not a concern usually uh, when I'm looking at this, but when I'm looking at something for print, I do get concerned and it is something that I just want to be able to know what's my starting point. Am I at the right spot uh, that I want to be at, which is as best and perfect as possible. So we're looking at largely what we, in this case anyway, we're looking at what's also called deconvolution sharpening. Uh, some people will just call it capture sharpening. It's about the pixel by pixel item where you're just saying, okay, is this as rendered as sharply as it can be? And then we have the masking effect also that's in that same area, right. the detail. And I love to be able to hit that option key or alt key on the PC and slide it forward and literally not apply sharpening. And it'll show you an overlay mask where it's not going to apply the sharpening. I love being able to do that because some of those areas, especially if you're on a higher ISO, you don't want to sharpen the noise that's there. And right, right. and so this is going to allow you to control exactly where that capture sharpening happens. And so it's something where it, it's kind of hard to describe in the audio only format, but that's what I'm looking for is just how are those individual pixels? I'm zooming way in. How are those individual, ah, I'm getting my tongue tied. How are those individual pixels coming out and how are they looking? And then in those really smooth areas, uh, take that out with that masking so I don't even have to worry about that. Right. Okay. And and exposure and histogram. What it, Are these just things that you're going to consider as you're editing like you would any photo? Because I, I go into yeah. these too. I do. Yeah. I, even though I'm not going to print, I, I'm concerned about the sharpness and dealing with the noise. And I, I work around with the exposure and histogram is, is a huge guide to me, both right. as I'm capturing and as I'm editing. So, so is that what you're talking so about? So sharpness, I for me, I find a difference in the sharpness assessment because if I'm just going to put something online, I don't care a lick about what that sharpness is right there in photo in Lightroom, unless it's something that I know I can still resurrect to something that's major or whatever. But if as far as those individual details on a pixel by pixel basis, that I tend not to get been out of shape because. Lightroom has a sharpening on the export and I'm more concerned about that kind of sharpening, which is a different, it's an output sharpening. So in this setup, yeah, sharpness and overall technical assessment, that's probably the more uh, things that are, for me, there's a few more things that are specific to printing that I would be paying attention to. Now in exposure and histogram, the thing that I guess I would look at there is to say, as you get experience, you're going to start to understand when you see something on the histogram, you're going to understand exactly how bright that is and what you need to do. But it's a, it's experience-based for sure. So right, you might right. not be able to target it exactly, but I can look at something and say, oh, that's going to make a beautiful print just by looking at the histogram. Uh, and, and you'll get to that point. But you have the same concerns too about brightness and shadow areas. And so I talk about a little bit of those things in the videos where I like to see if the subject calls for it, a nice full histogram or a nice restricted histogram, just depending on what the subject calls for. And it's about understanding where those values are going to fall when it comes out to print. 
Okay, very good. When it when it comes to mood and overall technical assessment, really the mood that's that that's largely subjective, and we'll get into some other things when we get into the next stage of talking about uh, making uh, creative edits. But you know, is the overall mood of the image conducive to the print that you want to make? And then the technical assessment, we talked about some of those things with the um, the corrections that you might make, but that also might mean that you might make a perspective correction and some of those other things. What I say is, and I started this whole thing by saying, I like to separate these out into three different groups because if they, if this image can pass my technical requirements, then it's worth it to go on into the uh, creative aspects of it and that kind of a thing. So uh, then we can go into whether it's light, white balance or anything else under the sun that would be considered a creative edit. But if it can't meet that technical requirement of near perfection, then I'm not going to even worry about it because the print isn't going to be nice. And it's expensive. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it costs money. That'll, that'll be the last thing we talk about I, <laughs> is the cost. I don't want to do it when it costs money. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about uh, some more things that, that Brent's going to cover in his course and that's going to be helpful for, for listeners. But first, let's, let's thank a uh, sponsor for this episode. We all know as photographers, if you've spent any time trying to get clients and build your business, we all know how competitive the marketplace is for photographers in particular. We are small business owners. We have a lot of problems with small business issues and things we have to deal with. And that's why we need every tool we can to help us to succeed and make our service stand out. Something that other people are going to pick up on and they're going to choose us over others. All the other options that they have in our markets so that we can be the photographer for the, the clients that we're looking for. And that's why we've partnered with a, a new sponsor to the show, HoneyBook.com. HoneyBook can help you to spend less time handling the administrative work and more time doing what you love, getting behind the camera, setting up the lighting, all of the things that, that you need to do to make your business really, really successful. HoneyBook offers an all-in-one business management platform for creatives and small businesses. They make it super easy to streamline your process with client and calendar management tools, plus all of the accounting sorts of things you need, like e-signatures, invoices. It helps you get paid faster. It's a combination of a lot of different products that you may have used in the past all in one spot. Over 75,000 photographers, designers, and event professionals, along with solo entrepreneurs, have saved hundreds, if not thousands of hours with HoneyBook. That's why we partnered with HoneyBook.com to offer master photography podcast listeners 50% off their first year of HoneyBook when you use promo code IMPROVE. So go get started at HoneyBook.com today. Use promo code IMPROVE and get 50% off okay, that Brent, first year. Now, Again, that's HoneyBook.com. where we're at so Promo far. code IMPROVE. You've got a print or you've got a, a photo that um, you're, you're pretty sure is going to be a nice print. It's yeah. something that you're excited to print about. You've already kind of gone through and made your edit, so it looks beautiful on the screen. Yeah. Now, what kind of considerations do we need to take in preparing to actually print it? Yeah. Soft proofing is something I've heard of before. I haven't really done that to, to, to go through that. So why don't you talk about soft proofing? What, what is that? Yes. So both Lightroom and Photoshop allow for this to happen. And what you're doing is you're taking the profile and uh, the, the printer profile and you're going to be able to largely 
depict or at least see the difference of uh, what's happening when you apply that profile to the image. And so you can see on screen some changes that are going to happen and you can make a, hopefully, a, a, a this is also experience-based, but you can make a prediction, okay, is that really going to look like that? And what do I have to do to make it happen otherwise? Another thing that soft proofing will do for you, especially I'm remembering in Photoshop, I can't remember if it does this in Lightroom or not, but it'll give you what we call a gamut warning and it'll highlight the areas that are out of gamut for that specific profile. So if you're editing in, say, ProPhoto RGB, which is... Uh, the standard when you when you take something from Lightroom and you put it into Photoshop, ProPhoto RGB is the standard. If you don't change it before you go to print, then you might have some colors. You'll easily potentially have some colors that are out of gamut for that profile, and so it'll highlight those. And if it's a major issue, you can then go and make adjustments to bring those within, or you can make a choice whether or not you're going to just do uh, what they call these rendering intents. And so we have these things called relative. Sometimes uh, sometimes it's called relative colorimetric. Sometimes it's just called relative, but they're the same thing. And then there's perceptual. Uh-huh. So uh-huh. Okay. When, and I did notice that. Yeah. In, in Lightroom, that was there. And I did go and do a soft proofing between those two just to see which one I liked better right. as I was going to print. And I actually liked the uh, the first one. What was Relative. It relative. That's usually what we do. perceptual. Yeah. Okay. And it's weird to me that that's usually what we do because of the way these two things behave and the relative. So I'm going to do my best to describe how this works uh, in the audio only format. So <laughs> let's, yeah. let's say you have, Oh, how's the best way to do this? So let's say you have a certain measure of color and it goes up, let's say 12 inches. So like a ruler size. And so that represents the full amount of color. I'm highly simplifying it, but that represents the full amount of differences in color that's available. Not the differences in brightness or anything like that, but just how many differences in color you can have. So for for that given, I should say for that given uh, profile, for that given color space. And then you have ProPhoto, let's say, which is huge. It might be one and a half rulers tall. And so we're kind of working on a linear scale just to make it easy. So with relative, what we're doing is we're saying all of those that are up and above that initial 12 inches, it just has to get chopped off and it is limited to that color that's at the best it can be, whatever's the closest it can be for that, whether it's blue or green or red or whatever, it just chops it off and forces it all down to that area. And so all those other colors that were established there from zero to 12 inches, those remain untouched. And so when you go with the perceptual, what you're actually doing is you're effectively applying a vice to that whole 12 and a half inches or, you know, 15 inches worth or whatever it is. And you're going to squeeze it down Uh. and everything else below also gets squeezed down proportionally. And so the colors can change when you're doing the perceptual. That's probably why you didn't like the results in perceptual. Yeah, I didn't. Because those uh-huh. colors are actually able to be forced to change simply because there were colors above them on uh, you know that needed to be forced to, to, to come into to play nice with this color space. And so when you have that happening and we we say, oh, let's just take relative. 99 or 98 or 95% of the image, whatever it is, 
doesn't change a bit because there's only usually only a little bit that's out of gamut. And so those get forced to be whatever they need to be. And we're usually happy with it. So if we, sometimes we, we like it better with the perceptual. Sometimes we like it better with relative. For me, relative is almost always where I go. Okay. All right. Very good. All right. And uh, you had another section here of like sizing and cropping and uh, talking about like flatten the image, saving as a new one. So we already talked a little bit about the PPI stuff. So I don't think we have to do that one again. But yeah. Tell me about flattening the image, saving as and as smart objects. Tell me. Yeah. So after we've gone through and we've got everything set and we have you know that print master and we've flattened it down that's when we get to sizing it right or it should be you know we'll we'll use the crop tool we'll size it right once it's sized right that 8 by 10 let's say like I was uh, had mentioned that 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 example that I'm using at whatever resolution I need so the resolution is dependent on my printer uh making it an even an even divisible of whatever the printer is then I'm going to make it a smart object because the reason I want to make that whole everything, it used to be like five layers or two layers or whatever it was. I flattened it first, but now I'm going to make it a smart object. The reason I'm going to do that is because when I apply the sharpening filter, I can then just go back and apply whatever I want if I need to make changes because I'm pretty much ready to print once I've applied that output sharpening. And so if I look at it, I'm like, hmm, you know, this is fine, but I think it can be better with slight changes in the sharpening. I just go back and it's non-destructively edited. I just go back to that smart filter and I change those settings and I print it out again and it's either better or worse and I can make a decision uh, as to what I need to do with that sharpening. And I don't have to keep going every single time to resize the image and all that stuff. So that's why I make it a smart object in Photoshop. Do you, With regard to sharpening, so you have, you have sharpening you do as you edit in like the details portion of Lightroom or right. in, in Photoshop and Camera Raw. Um, as you go to print, you again have sharpening options. Right. How do you recommend approaching that? Like, do you, do you need to do test prints to see kind of how what you like about the image at different sharpening levels? Or how do you go about figuring that out? Sure. So I've got some recommended rule of thumb starting points. And the the reason we do output sharpening is because now we're no longer concerned necessarily about a pixel by pixel basis. We're concerned about objects, shapes, colors, those kinds of things. We're concerned about our edges of objects. And so when we have high contrast between uh, two colors or what have you, Photoshop is going to see that as an edge. And so we'll be able to sharpen that object. So I use one of two options, either the unsharp mask in Photoshop or the smart sharpen in Photoshop. And they're highly similar. It's just that smart sharpen allows you to have a much larger window for previewing. And then also it has these things called shadow and uh, highlights areas where you can actually do some really good stuff. It's a little bit technical to get into now, but oh my goodness, it's so powerful and so wonderful. And that's one of the things I go through and say, look at how much better it is because we were able to pull back the sharpening in the the shadows areas or the highlights areas. But the rule of thumb settings, let's say for Unsharp Mask, that's a very, I mean, it's been around forever. Unsharp Mask has been around for probably 20 years or more. Uh do we have amount, radius, and threshold? Amount is the uh, intensity of how much sharpening is applied. The radius is how far away from that edge in pixels it's applied. And the threshold is much like that masking in Lightroom uh, to say, 
those smooth transitional areas, we don't want to worry about sharpening those. We just want to sharpen the details. And so we can kind of uh, target it just for that. So the amount, I like to start out anywhere between 70 and 100%. The radius, I go based off of my resolution. And so if it's a 300 pixel per inch image, then I'm going to set it to 1.5. And the reason I do that is it's one half of 1%. So if it's 300 pixels per inch, 1% of that is three pixels. And then half of that is 1.5. So I would set the radius starting point at 1.5. And as we go through the processing in the um, in the course, uh, I talk about, you know, this image, it needed to be smaller, this image, it needed to be bigger. And we talk about the reasons why that might be the case. Uh, experimentation and see what you like for sure uh, is, is what you want to think about. But in one sense, too, is to say, well, if it's going to be smaller, you want the grain to be the grain, the the tightness of the sharpening. You want to be tighter. You go with a smaller amount. If you want to be a little more rugged, a little more obvious, then you go with a larger amount. But that also, again, it's tied into your resolution. So there's just experiment and have fun with it. And then the threshold, I usually set to be around eight. Sometimes I go up to 11, sometimes a little higher. It just depends on the nature of the photo and what you need. Okay, so... These are, these are all things you do in Photoshop, Unsharp yes. Mask, in, in setting all these options. When you go to actually print, though, like in, in Lightroom, I can't remember if it's there in Photoshop, but in Lightroom, you have um, print sharpening, output right. sharpening there. What do you do? Do you do you add that in addition to the detail nope. sharpening that you're going to be doing in Lightroom, or do you recommend okay. turning that off? Yes, I see what you're saying. So if you're if you're staying in Lightroom only, yes, the detail sharpening for me, that initial the initial aspect is all about the technical quality of how I shot the image. And I'm only looking at a pixel by pixel basis on that. If there's other sharpening that I would do, and I would probably use that same function. If I do that for a creative reason, then I'm going to go ahead and creatively change that setting. It's just that different stage of where you're at in the sharpening stage. But the only mechanism that Lightroom has for output sharpening is that print setting in in the print module where it allows you to do the low standard or high and then for two different media types. That is the same thing as it relates to the, the stage and the process of where you're at as applying the unsharp mask in Photoshop. And that's why I like doing Photoshop. I got so much control in Photoshop that I don't have to worry about what is Lightroom doing? I don't know exactly what Lightroom is doing there. And if I change something from low to standard, yeah, I know it's going to go up a little more in intensity, but how much intensity and how much is it going to be dialed in precisely? And, and, you know, I just don't have as much control. And then the other thing is too, on this, because it's a smart filter, we applied it to a smart object. You have a mask that goes with it. If there's a little area that just can't have it. So for instance, I have a portrait of this lady in India that I use in the course. And I showcase the one area in the whole image where everything looks really good with a certain settings for the sharpening, but it's terrible in this one tiny little spot. And so I just use that mask and go, boop, turn it off. And you can't do that in Lightroom So with, with the specific output sharpening. So right. uh, it's nice to have all that control and all that, all everything at your fingertips. And it's, sure. it's really nice to be able to use that. Okay. And so still with my question, though, with, with Lightroom, if I've sharpened already, 
in the develop module. Yeah. And I, I get it to the point where it looks great on my screen and, and I like exactly how it looks there. When I go to print, should I add any output sharpening when I print? Yes, I think you should because what's happening is if you're in a purely Lightroom only, and I guess I should say I think you should uh, experiment with it, but then yes, I think you should by normally use that output sharpening because it's at least going to give you a little bit because it's looking at those edges of those of those objects and it's going to enhance the, the edge sharpening uh, not on a pixel by pixel basis uh, because it... You know, okay. you don't because okay. you could do pixel by pixel basis in Photoshop with Unsharp Mask, but we don't set it to do that, um, and and we we keep that threshold high so it doesn't do that. It hunts for those very distinct edges, and that's basically what the Lightroom uh, output sharpening is doing for your print sharpening as well. And if I uh, between low, medium, and high, how do I decide between that? The best thing I can say is to experiment Just because okay. <laughs> it's it's going to be dependent on the subject. And I have not looked into the specifics of what Lightroom's algorithm is and how it behaves versus one subject to the next i i don't i just don't know so i would say experiment and you'll start to feel get a feel for it and understand for this type of subject it would be this for that type of subject it would be that right right for me i would think if i were doing a person i would probably leave it on low if i were doing something a little more uh like right now, I, I happen to have open in Lightroom an image of a cobblestone street in Boston, and I would probably set that as a as a starting point. I would probably set that to medium. I don't think I would like high on anything, but that's just my gut reaction. I would certainly be willing to experiment with it, yeah. but I would start with medium on something like that. But on a person, I probably would start with low. Okay, so testing is, is going to be the best way to just kind of see, yeah. get a feel for what it means for your photos on your yeah. printer. Okay. And and even when you're in Photoshop, you still got to test it out because especially I mean this is your first time printing for for many folks yeah, yeah. and you just don't know what you're going to get. You're not going to know what's going to be uh desirable and and better for you. So, if you look at something and you say, "Oh my goodness, that's awesome. I love it." Well, I'm going to come back and say it potentially could be better. And you're going to say, "Well, how could it be better? That's perfect." And I'm going to say, "Well, you know, let's try it. Try. Let's <laughs> let's give these uh, a little bit more nudge here, a little bit more nudge there. And once you start to see how it could be better, you're like, oh, wow, I had no clue it could right, do that. Right. And then you start to see how being picky with it has some <laughs> positives. Right. It could lead you down into some negative areas too, but it has some positives for sure. And it's something that I like to to go that route anyway, just because I know I've got that 100% control over everything. And if I do need to make a change, yeah, I'll make that change. And then another thing, if I want to make a different size print, I go back to that print master and I make another sized print and I sharpen it specifically for that output size. Definitely don't use that same file because that file is already resized with all the pixels and everything. It's resized for the 8x10. If you want to make an 11 by 14 Go back to your print master, recrop, resharpen, and get it going for that. Okay. All right. I, I think I get it. Um, there is tons more in Brent's course, but I want to <laughs> I want to wrap up this yeah, episode. So we're, we're getting pretty long, aren't we? With with just a brief discussion on printing costs. Yes. Um, this is not one of the reasons you go to print locally, right? This is not. You, you right. don't want to do this uh, to save money, even though there might be some argument that. 
you could save some money. Like uh, you, you got in the show notes, uh, redrivercatalog.com, and they, they have done some analysis on the Canon Pro 10 and the Canon Pro 100. And I, I saw yeah. this even before the show notes because I was curious too. I was like, what's the cost? You, you have inks um, that you've got to pay for. They're super expensive. Paper that you got to pay for. Yeah. And some of that you're going to like throw away because you have to trim it off. It's you, you don't necessarily have the right size for every print that you want to do. Um, the print, the ink can't just sit in the printer. It's got to be recycled, you know, cycled through so that it doesn't dry out the ink head in there mm-hmm. and jam up the ink head. So you, you have to print at a fairly frequent basis. All of that's money. And uh, yes, unless you're going to print a lot, it's just, it's not going to save you money for sure. It's more just like the, for me, the reason I wanted to do it was to learn about it. That was the primary reason. But now I'm also kind of, it's nice that I have the option to print something at a very high quality level if I needed it like in an hour, <laughs> right? which I have had and I've never done it because I didn't have the, the capability. And so right. those opportunities where I wanted it, I was like, the, the example was I was heading over to the gym for to shoot the high school basketball team, shoot their portraits for the team photos. And I, I thought, oh, you know. I'll bet I will sell a whole lot more prints or people are going to get a whole lot more excited about this if I had a nice big print to show them of an example of the final result of what we're going to be right. doing. Because this wasn't yes. going to be your traditional team photos. I had plans on how to make this be a lot better uh, for, for all of the athletes. And yeah, that worked great. I, cool. I, I had the capability, so I printed off a 13 by 19 print of uh, the, what's the end result's going to look like. That I used the template I'm going to use. Uh, I have created a Photoshop template for the the background and, and the cool graphics that are going to be around them. And then um, I composited last year's shot. I took one of the athletes from last year and composited them into the, the template, printed it off, took it over there. And yeah, they were loving that print. They, they, I bet. They responded extremely positively to it. And, uh, and that's nice. So in the end, is it going to be something I'm going to stick with? And do I have enough reason to uh, to keep cycling the inks through? I don't know. We'll see as as I test it, as I use it. But uh, right now, it's really only for those occasional needs I've got. And, you know, even my family, we, we've got occasionally like, hey, can I, I want to print off this photo for a school project or, or, or stuff like that that's going on. Um, so we'll see. We'll see if I stick with it or if I decide... Yeah, it's just not worth it. It's my my needs to actually print are so few. It doesn't make sense money wise to do this, even to have it as a convenience factor. And I'm just going to do print labs. So we'll see. We'll see where I end up. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense because you know if you were to do a full on thirteen by nineteen on your printer, you're spending two, uh, on average two dollars and seventy cents in ink only. Right, and that's just wow. You know. <laughs> Right. In one sense, well, it's not too bad, but you know, to get everything set up and going and then you're going to print three or four of these and then finally you've got the right one. How much did you just spend in ink only right. just to get that right one and then how much in paper too because a 13 by 19 sheet of paper is not cheap either. Right. So this is definitely not something that is um for for the budget for the super budget minded type. So you have to be ready to accept the fact, yeah, this is going to cost some a little bit. All right. So, shall we move on to doodads? Yeah, let's do that. All righty, go ahead. What what have you got for us? Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna put. I wanted to have links in the show notes to the trimmers that I bought. Yeah. Um, the both options. So the like we mentioned, there's the Dolly five five two professional 
rolling trimmer. It's 20 inches. It's also cool that it has a feature where it, it uh, the blade is not a, a square blade. It's a roll, a circle. And it, as it rotates up away from what you're cutting, it goes through a sharpener. So yeah. it's always maintaining a very sharp edge. It's self-sharpening. It's really cool. I like that. It is definitely not inexpensive uh, for what I was looking for. It was $170 on Amazon to uh, to get that. Uh, but it's 20 inches, and I can put my big, huge 13 by 19 papers in there and cut them up. So that's great. The other is the Fiskars uh, 12-inch trimmer. These are kind of your more traditional blades that you think of. So you do have to replace them if they when they get dull. And it comes with two, I believe, if I remember right, and I bought two others just so I had them on hand if I needed them. And uh, that one was much more reasonably priced at just 30 bucks, which is kind of what I was expecting. But it's just not yeah. big enough for uh, yeah. what I needed. So. Yeah, they've got a, a trimmer like that, somewhat like that at Staples as well, but it's definitely on the budget side. Your, your German-engineered one, holy smokes. I have a guillotine cutter made by that same company uh-huh. at work. Oh, that thing is beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> Big old lever, bring that sucker down, chop 500 sheets of paper, just like butter almost. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, very different from your rotocolor cutter, but yeah, it's st- still, that's a good company and they've they've got some good stuff there. For It's, it's really nice. Very nice. My doodad is a flash trigger by the company Newer, N-E-E-W-E-R. And I just bought one of these because... My previous doodad on the last episode was a Godox TT600. So I'm just going to be firing it with this flash trigger. It was like 20 bucks for the receiver and the transmitter. And the other thing I liked about this was actually that transmitter, uh, excuse me, the receiver has a little slot on it for the umbrella to go into. So it can be slightly closer to the axis of the flash, you know, that center of the umbrella. Uh, so, so I thought that was kind of cool. So is 20 there, bucks on Amazon. Is there a reason you didn't buy the Godox trigger? Um, yeah, the Godox trigger looked too complicated. <laughs> if it's the okay. same one, it's it's got this huge uh, display, and you can yeah. control all sorts of things. And I want to be able to show my students in like three seconds. This is how it works, and okay. here's the manual adjustment you need to make, and just send them off with that, rather than figuring out and fiddling with sixteen buttons and all this stuff. So I see. Yeah. I, I wanted something ultra simple. Okay. All right. The the Godox one isn't too much more expensive. And you can, the nice thing about it is you can change the power settings right from where you're standing instead of having to go Yeah, I kind of thought of that, but oh, well, maybe I should have gone that route. But <laughs> It also <laughs> enables high-speed sync when you use that trigger. So the flashes are capable of high-speed sync and it enables it when you use that trigger. There's, there's definitely some benefits for that. Yep. So yes, uh, maybe we should uh, get, a secondary link in the show notes <laughs> if if you know which one specifically which model oh, or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Uh we can put that in as a secondary links for people to look at and make their the decision for themselves. Sure. I was I was looking for something just ultra simple because I had uh two impact ones that were ultra simple but they don't make those anymore. And so I just wanted to keep everything the same as far as the experience the students would have and so I just decided to go that route. Sure. Okay, yeah, so, I'll, I'll put those. I'll actually need, I'll, I'll put like four links because they're camera specific so that you can do high speed mm, sync. Yes. They're yes, definitely specific. Yep. Yeah, if you want that for sure, you need you need that camera specific. Uh, so, yeah, I'll get, I'll get all thing. those, those links in there. So. Yeah, that's awesome. All right. So, everybody, thank you so much. You've made it to the end. This is, uh, what are we, an hour and 20 minutes or more? Whew. 
<laughs> we really thank you for uh, being here and for being a part of our community. Certainly find us on Facebook, uh, Master Photography Podcast, and you'll have to answer one little question that is a host of the show. Whether you're answering Connor, Brian, Erica, Jeff, or myself, my name is Brent, you'll be able to get in. Uh, we've had some people coming in and uh, you know they just don't answer questions or they answer something silly and we hit the decline button. We want to make sure we keep the folks in who are active listeners and they've they've been around a little bit so if that's a desire and you want to join us in the facebook group where we extend a little bit of the show that would, you're more than welcome to join and we invite you to come on over find the show notes at masterphotographypodcast.com that's the home for the show the home online and jeff where can they find your items the best place is uh i'm going to just send them to phototacopodcast.com so that you can All right. check out my my podcast stuff there the articles the blogs that i'm I'm producing them. I have a bunch of buying guides that are out on phototacopodcast.com. So if you're a photographer looking to buy computers or, uh, I don't know, I have a whole bunch that are out there, the, the like a Mac mini guide for what it is you should spend your money on versus what you shouldn't. And so I'm going to have a lot of emphasis on how you can save money if it's at all possible with whatever equipment you buy. So you can, you, you can go check that out, uh, phototacopodcast.com. Great. And you can find me online over at my main website, brentbergherm.com. I've got some workshops listed there. And I've just released this Walla Walla Shoot and Print workshop. Basically, everything we've been talking about, we're going to go over in person while we also go out and shoot. So in the mornings and in the evenings, we'll go out and shoot some great landscapes here in Southeast Washington and Northeast Oregon. And then during the hot of the day, because June does get pretty hot around these parts, We'll be in the nice, cool conference room, and we'll be looking at all sorts of printing items. So I'm really excited about that. And then, of course, the 2019 total solar eclipse happening in Chile. I've got a workshop going to there. So some seats are sold here already on these workshops, and I just wanted to shout out again on these. And then, of course, uh, later in the summer, in August, looking to go back to Croatia and taking some people there, where my focus there is going to be really on composition and just really thoughtfully thinking through the images and helping the group that I have to just very much think consciously through the images and think about the visual aspects, think about the stories they're telling, everything with regards to that. And of course, latitudephotographypodcast.com. That's the site for my Latitude podcast. And then you can find me on Facebook, of course, just search my name and YouTube as well. Brent Birkin Photography. We've got some videos going on up there as well. So, oh, and I almost forgot another meetup that I'm planning on doing. I'm going to be in the Banff National Park area up there in Canada for our President's Day weekend here in the U.S. So I'm going to roll into town on the 16th of February. That'll be in the evening that I get there. And so I'm looking to shoot on Sunday the 17th. And on Monday the 18th, and then probably the morning on the 19th as well. So potentially up to two and a half days worth of shooting there. I've already got one listener that I'm meeting with, and it'd be awesome if we had more. So reach out to me on Facebook or email. You can use the contact forms on either my websites, either the Latitude website or my personal website. And I would love to see if we can get a small group going. It's just a casual meetup. So if you want to brave the cold, the freezing lakes and all that other good stuff, Anyway, I hope you'll reach out if it's possible for you to make it, and I look forward to shooting with some of you. Thanks again so much, and we'll see y'all again in about another seven days. 